Greetings in Jesus' precious name this morning. It was quite a few weeks ago when we um, talked about finding God's will. It was all the way back before communion. Um, so we'll pick that up today. And I realized yesterday that probably there's one more message that will be intensely practical. So think of it this way. The last message we tried to lay the foundation and those two cornerstones is where we'll start. And today we're going to put the building up. Um, I am, I'm suggesting, this is just a suggestion, but if you're a teenager, a 20-er, or a 30-er, you might just write down seven points. Um, because if you're not facing a decision now, there might come a time when you are wondering about it, and it would be easier to find in a little note in your Bible than back on a podcast years ago or something like that. So that's a suggestion. And then the third message, Lord willing, next time I'm here will be, um, I'll, I'll tackle some very practical questions. So in the, in, the very, in the first message in this series, we were talking about finding God's will. Two of the, the main basic cornerstones of that message were that it is not in man to know how to direct his steps. That's from Jeremiah. So apart from God, we make a mess. Um, we... And apart from godly wisdom and godly counsel and godly direction, we, we can't see, we don't know. We're blundering, floundering. And so it's not in us. We need to reach outside of us. Second cornerstone is that God really wants us to know his will. He is intimately interested and heavily invested in our lives and he, he wants us to know. Now, it's not sometimes as easy as just a short prayer and then it's written on the wall or carved in stone. But he wants us to know. He wants us to seek. Second Chronicles, he wishes to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So there's a desire there on God's part, and there normally is a desire on our part. It's a matter of communication, I think. And that's part of the today's message, seven keys to knowing God's will. I've tried to keep this as concise as possible just to keep it short enough to make it practical for help. Um, my heart is, I think, toward our young people in this message, but it applies wider than that. I'm going to start with this, this most important one in my mind, and that is humility. Remember Brother Dwayne talking about humility here just last week. I know a lot has happened since then, but if we could cut and paste, we would just put that message here right now on humility. Why is humility so important as the very first thing as far as finding God's will? Well, it, humility is just, think of it this way. If we think we know, we never ask. It's, it's that basic. Um, and we have, I've been guilty of this too many times, but let's go to Matthew 18, verses 2, 3, and 4. Humility is the first and greatest key to knowing God's will. Jesus said, well, Jesus did in this case, called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, 
Verily, I say unto you, or assuredly, I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as his little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not specifically talking about finding God's will, but of course God's greatest will that is that we would enter the kingdom of heaven, join him in that. But just the importance of children, I think this is what happens. Children ask questions, almost too many questions. But have you noticed that as adults we don't ask as many questions? And I think that's part of the childlikeness that Jesus is calling us to. And that is to be not just inquisitive, but open to other input, advice, counsel. Um, it takes humility to ask. I don't know. I, I see this. This happened in my own life. There was Dad told me that I asked too many questions as a child. I went through a time in my young that I didn't ask nearly enough questions. And now I'm back to asking, like, sometimes I just feel really inadequate. And so I go to others and I ask them questions. They might be my age, older or younger. And I say, do you think we're on the right track here? And maybe it's inadequacy on my part. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just not um, convinced enough that somebody 50 should know the answer. But um, it, I think I'm back to that framework now of asking questions. I'm not sure if I ask enough or the right ones, but we do get to a point where we realize it is a great blessing to have people you can ask. Um, I'm challenging young people. It's not childish to ask questions. It's, it's, it's a blessing. Ask, keep asking questions. David said that the humble God guides. This is Psalm 25.9, and the humble he teaches his way. If we're not asking God, we don't get much direction. If we're not asking people, it's kind of hard to weigh in on decisions they're making. I think God, we can, us, us parents can understand this a bit. Have you ever seen your child make kind of a bad decision? Um, maybe they're riding their bike with no hands, or maybe it's more serious than that. And you know it's going to end in a disaster at some level. But how, like, do you stop them? Do you let it happen? And I think God is that way too. God, is, God knows all the perfect answers. But God sees his children wondering, doing foolish things, unwise things. He would love if we would ask. But if we don't, usually the law of sowing and reaping will settle in and we'll we'll figure it out but he would much rather help us in that so would other people paul reminded us in corinthians therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall so there again humility pride is i've got it i know the answer pick me um humility is realizing that we are not as strong as we think we are we are not as wise as we think we are Paul said in Romans, do not be wise in your own eyes. I don't think we'd ever say it, I'm wise. Look at me. But maybe we act that way sometimes when we just fail to seek advice, fail to ask questions, fail to seek God. And Isaiah even said, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And the English language is kind of funny because you can say that this basically equals this. Oh. Woe can be taken either way, but it means stop. Like, there's trouble ahead. Pull up reins, put on the brakes, and evaluate. Woe to those who are winding their own eyes. There's an accident ahead. So we need humility. I think if we have humility, then the rest just falls in place. It, I don't know how to tell us exactly how to live in humility, but humility is not thinking a lot of ourselves. 
knowing that we need God, knowing that we need others, and accepting um, counsel. Point two is counsel. <laughs> Builds directly on that. Get godly counsel. Let's think about the effects of poor counsel. You know the story well of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, but it was Rehoboam who consulted the older men first, who gave him good advice. We can look at that story and see that that would have been the best. He also asked his peers, and he liked their advice better, like it sounded better. And I know that God had a purpose in this as far as dividing the kingdom and taking it away from the from the house of David. But, but you can just read that story, and you can see it coming, and you can know what will happen if he takes that advice? And of course it did. But So he sought counsel, but of the wrong place. Um, how many times, teenagers, do you ask your friends, what kind of truck should I buy? Well, why did you ask your friends? Because they're interested in it too? Have you, that's a minor thing. Um, when it gets to serious questions, ask somebody beyond your friend. I, I'm going to say somebody 10 years older than you but then I'm realizing that people like Brother JP and Brother Keith, the pool gets pretty small when I start thinking. <laughs> and so at some point in your life, you have to start asking your peers, but you're not ready for that yet. Ask, find somebody at least 10 years older to ask some of these important questions to. Find someone who is godly. Let's go to Psalm 1. Very familiar psalm, maybe you know this by heart, reading from the New King James. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Well, that's not a guarantee that everything we put our hand to will turn out perfectly. But I wanted you to notice that they're in the first verse. They're getting counsel, but at the wrong place, wrong people, poor, poor counselors. And then in verse 2, you notice that opposite of that is someone who is getting their counsel from the law of the Lord. Or you would just say is open to godly counsel. That's coming through the word, and we'll touch on that in a minute. Even Solomon, the wisest man, wrote this, probably early in his life, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. I've probably said this before, but when you get counsel, pick out maybe two or three. Um, I struggle with that multitude of counselors because I see things sometimes stalled in large committees. Or if you get too many people and you ask too many then you have to sort through all the input and try to figure out. I, I just think two or three godly advice givers are adequate for most situations. I think as a king, he understood that he needed to have a wide variety of people giving him counsel. And you can just see the wisest man's life. It started out so well and then kind of 
culminated and then just pitched off with strange women and um, poor choices. And so if he would have kept asking good advice of older people, they could have told him that multiplying gold, horses, and wives was not going to end well, but he didn't see it. And so I still think that um, even an average Christian can be significantly wiser than the wisest man, Solomon. He can certainly end much better. Um, also this verse, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Now, rebuke is stronger, and I just want to put that on the end of this getting counsel. Like getting counsel is before you make the decision asking advice and then choosing a path. Rebuke is more like you chose a path or I chose a path and somebody came to you and said, do you realize, do you do you see, could you... Could I weigh in on that decision even after it's made? Like a rebuke is a little stronger than advice. It's almost like somebody coming in, you didn't ask them. They came to you. That's hard to do, but sometimes it's necessary. And if we get rebuke, we should consider that word. <laughs> that means somebody cares enough to ask us about the direction we're going. Thirdly, third key, defining God's will is to spend time in prayer and fasting. Let's go to Acts 13. So you're struggling, you're seeking God's will. It may be as simple as what to preach or any other choice that you might be faced with. It might be a small or a large I would say that routine decisions are probably adequately addressed by routine prayer. And large decisions should be addressed by significant prayer and even fasting. And so we know these verses, this church, is very significant direction-setting um, issue that was before him. They were choosing leaders. I'll just read this. Um, so... Choosing church leaders, like what's happening in West Virginia right now, very significant. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Some of those names are kind of lost in history. We don't hear about them, but they chose leaders, and then we find out more about those leaders because they were chosen. But verse 2, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, Minister being served, sought. So the whole church here is involved. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Well, how did the Holy Spirit speak? I would love to know. Like, how did they choose? Was that by lot? It just wasn't said. Did, was there an audible voice in a meeting house? As if we stopped right now and we heard the answer. Um, how did, did, they, did they all come to church the next day with a strong feeling of this was the two men? Like an inner, an inner voice? Somehow the Holy Spirit was very active there and you find it all through Acts. And sometimes it feels like we've lost a little bit of that in our modern era. But they were fasting and praying, and then that allowed the Spirit to speak very clearly. Like, it, it just sounds so clear. There was no further discussion. They had the answer. Fasting and praying is um, 
very, very important to finding the Lord's will. Um, at the very least, just pray about it. I have been so blessed. I have this commute from Newmarket to Harrisonburg and Harrisonburg to Newmarket. It's a great quiet time um, for prayer. And sometimes just having prayed about it in less than a minute, it's, it's pretty clear in my mind that, oh, yeah, I, okay, I do see that now. I get it. Um, I heard that. And other times I've prayed about things for days and even weeks occasionally, and I'm still praying about some things, and I have a feeling you are too, but there is, there's some benefit in learning to wait as well. On this thing of seeking direction by prayer and fasting, I want to say that I think there is a direct proportion to our time in prayer and how far we can see ahead. Do you doubt that? Think of Daniel, who we know prayed three times a day without fail. And think about in his later writings that he mentioned he was weeks, 40 days in prayer and supplication, and think about what he, how far he saw ahead. And then if you want another one, of John. Was it John or was it James who had camel's knees from his prayer? Maybe James. It was James, okay. But there was John on the Isle of Patmos, and I don't know if he spent most of his time living, like trying to find food, or um, in prayer, but I get the strong sense that it was in prayer. He was alone, he was isolated, and he was praying, and he saw way ahead, like beyond what we can see yet, <laughs> and we're much closer than he was. But I just think that there's a direct correlation between that. Um, just recently, I'm not going to mention a name, but a, a gentleman mentioned that he saw this coming. In fact, he, he outlined things that he and, and it happened pretty much just like he expected. It was due to prayer and due to living life and knowing how things work. Okay, the fourth key for knowing the will of God is to read the word, looking for direction. Read the living word. I'm back to Psalm 1. I'm also thinking about Psalm 119. You might turn there and we'll think about 9, 10, and 11 in that psalm. Read the Word. So you're praying and fasting and reading the Word, and this will greatly help you to find God's will. Small decision, large decision. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man, or any man, or any person, cleanse his way by taking heed unto your Word? With your whole heart I have sought you, O Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. With my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the whole psalm is talking about the word of God, and you know that. But read the word. I think in the previous message I had mentioned Timothy, and Paul told him that from a child you've known the scripture. So he was very familiar, and they're able to make you wise. And it's all given for in, by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and decision-making. I could just add there that the man of God, any person of God, might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so as we read the Word, I, how do you see the Word? Does it, does it minister to your heart? If it doesn't, start praying about that. Why am I not drawn to the Word? Where is my desire? If you start desiring desire, at least you're on the path to that. And then as you read the word, does it, does it speak? 
Well, sometimes more than others, but it's amazing how when you're faced with something, you can, it, it, the word does speak to more than we give it credit for. We think maybe in our minds that it was written long ago and it addressed their problems, but it actually is a universal book that it covers. God put enough in there to cover the entire span of man. He didn't just write it for early church believers. He wrote it for all of New Testament believers. And he put in there what we would need to evaluate even things like computers or internet. It's, there's direction there. God knew that we would face that. It didn't surprise him. He gave us enough to work with if we dig it out. I want to say that reading the word and looking for answers can be maybe just a tiny bit of caution there. Have you ever noticed that what you look for, you see? So when I was studying that message on the threes, there were threes everywhere. <laughs> Every time I read the word, I noticed threes. Still do. Um, and so this could happen. Like a young man could bring to be deciding if he should marry or not. And he could read in Genesis where God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he has a solid verse to stand on and he knows which way to go. Or he could read in Paul's letters that I wish every man were like me and he would have a solid direction on which way to go, right? <laughs> so I say, read it carefully, read the word looking for direction, but be a little cautious of trying to, what would you call it? Proof texting, find verses to support where you've already come out. Read it seeking direction with humility, you might say. Okay, point number five, key number five to finding God's will, be sensitive to Holy Spirit. Brother Dwayne mentioned this. I'd like to read it in its fuller context. It's Isaiah 30, verse 18. Classic passage on how does the Spirit work. It was in our Sunday school lesson, too. The Spirit confirms um, the witness so in Isaiah 30, um, 18, usually 21 is where we would end up, but let's just read 18. I'll read for you 18 through 21. Therefore the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, and so we use those verses to think about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Notice, though, that 1819, God does want to bless his people. There is an element of waiting. We will touch on that briefly in a minute. And there is also difficulties. I, I don't understand fully verse 20, and yet there is, though the Lord gives you difficulty, Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner. I don't know if those teachers could be counselors or advisors. It's people that are inputting knowledge into your heart. And they're not going to be far away. They're going to be close. You're going to be able to ask them. And I'd say, well, we live in that era. You can ask anyone. 
And then there's going to be in our ears this little, still, small voice, if you will, giving us direction. And so I don't know that I can fully explain the direction of the Holy Spirit, but it has to do with a a well-trained conscience and what is right and what is wrong based on the Word of God. It has to do with a sensitivity to a still, small voice. It has to do with a humility and an openness. One of the keys for me in finding God's will has been to crucify my own will a bit or a whole bunch and say, Lord, and I think I've heard other people say this too, Lord, I I am willing to take whatever path you lay out. Um, Until we get to that point, it's pretty hard for God and the still small voice to be heard. And so there is a Holy Spirit that wants to work in the Christian's life, and I think the strength of that voice has a lot to do with our prayer and fasting and our time in the Word. And then God can use those to help us hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, key number six. Evaluate circumstances. We often use the word open or closed doors. Now, circumstances are somewhat subjective, but I still feel they are important. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, um, if you want a verse to go at this point, this is probably the best one. Paul said, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And so he acknowledges the difficulties. He also felt strongly that, that he had an opportunity. It was a circumstance, if you will. And I thought, we should just evaluate a little bit how Paul planned his missionary journeys. Have you ever read through and, and thought what's happening in Paul's mind? I don't have time to explore that today, but there were times he stayed a long time. There were times he moved from city to city. Sometimes persecution was the circumstance. Sometimes a growing church was a circumstance. Sometimes it was a dream. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And God and Paul knew. And you can read... Um, I think it's in, yeah, it's in one of the epistles that he says, I plan to do this if the Lord wills. Or I strongly urged Apollos, but he thought it wasn't the right time. And so Paul didn't always know exactly, but he, he, was, he was evaluating circumstances. In this case, he saw an opportunity. His heart was to spread the word. And I don't know what all was happening exactly, but he this great and effective door opened to me, but there were also adversaries. I was blessed by that. So it told me that Paul also struggled with this thing of finding God's will, but somehow his life just radiates of having done God's will. But in the day-to-day, I'm not sure how it always worked. I think circumstances, open and closed doors, um, I don't know, there's there's a value in knocking on doors. Um to see if they will open, as in gently inquiring is how I would take that. There's a danger in beating down doors, as in forcefully making ways to get where you want to go. Um, and then there's just the whole thing of being aware of opening closed doors, like just just thinking ahead, planning ahead. In Isaiah 58, verse 10, I found this quite interesting. Isaiah says this, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. Well, light is direction, like you can see ahead. That's what you need light for. And he's saying, if if you're generous, if you're giving, if you extend your soul to the hungry, if your heart wants to serve other people, 
Then you'll have light for your path. Well, that's an interesting concept. I thought about Luke 10 when Jesus was talking about the Samaritan. I think that man had, let's see, it came up in our devotions this morning. That was great. I think that man had plans. The Samaritan man had plans. He was going. He may have had a deadline at the other end. I don't think he was just out hiking to pass the time of day. I, I doubt it. I don't think they did that then. They got enough hiking in to not have to do it um, for exercise. And so he was going somewhere, and then he saw this need. Well, that was a door, wasn't it? And we know that he received a blessing, but it cost him something. And I think open and closed doors are like that. I think there are actually many, many, many open doors for the Christian. There are actually so many that we need some counsel and direction on figuring out which one shall I try to fill? Which one shall I try to meet? But there was a specific need that he was able to address. That's, that's an open door. If we're looking for those, it's amazing how a little open door can turn into a big open door, can lead to another step. And Robert Frost said it well. He said, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. And so this little decision leads well to this one, which leads to this one, and you're never, ever really back at this. Two roads diverged, and so on. Being sensitive to open doors, evaluating circumstances, being humble in that whole process is really important. Okay, seventh and last key for finding, discerning God's will Actually, I've lumped three together here. Trust, obey, and wait. I'm closing with this one because somehow in searching for God's will, we need to have the confidence that God wants the best for us. And in the waiting and in the searching, we shouldn't be frantic. We need to trust, knowing that he cares, knowing that circumstances may involve, evolve, move, change, that God might be working out something. And we're, we're, we, we need to have a confidence in God for this to work. If we do not have that confidence, I think we tend to short-circuit the entire system, make a quick decision like Saul did with offering that sacrifice, and we miss the blessing entirely. So, Trust in, a, in an all-powerful, all-knowing, and a good God is extremely important. Also, obedience is really important. There are many decisions out there that we don't know the answer to. What should we do in the meantime? Well, I've said this before. Be busy in the Lord's work. Um, occupy till he comes. Keep doing what you're doing if it's a good thing until you have light for the next step. God often does not give us I didn't know at 20 what today would look like. I had no idea. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to see ahead a year, much less 10 or 20 years. Um, we don't know what all might come into our lives. But in the interim, be satisfied with doing what you are doing now, with doing as best you know while you are waiting. Uh, the third word there is wait. I was just impressed in the in the the Bible, how many times it tells us to rest, to wait. Psalm 37 is the classic passage on that. We'll turn there for just two verses. You can read, you can put this whole chapter in your notes if you're struggling with, I want to do something, but it's not an open door, or I would love to know, but I'm not sure yet at this point. 
Um, here's a perfect psalm to read. It set, starts out, fret not, so don't get in a stew about it. And then in verse 7, it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. This thing of finding the Lord's will can take some time. It, it, can, it can involve uh, a significant time. And then the light shines for a day or a week ahead, and then you can move into that, and then it shines further. Um, not unlike walking with a small flashlight in the dark. I don't think, I think God's mercy is that way. He doesn't give us the rest of our lives laid out in chapters. He gives us enough to go on and enough to keep us very well busy while he um, starts to reveal the rest. Also, verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way. There's your obedience part, righteous living part. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. And so God always wins. And his children are blessed to go home with him at the end of an uncertain life. And so there's your seven keys. Um, I should review those in order in case there was a miss. Okay. Number one was humility. Number two, get godly counsel. Number three, spend time in prayer and fasting. Number four, read the word looking for direction. Number five, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Number six, evaluate circumstances. And number seven, trust, obey, and wait. Now I want to preface the next message just a little bit. Okay, we've laid the foundation in the first message. We've put up the framework today. We will do the very, the very practical uh, cabinet, drywall, furniture next time. We're moving kind of from the abstract, if you will, into the very practical, from the foundational to how does this work out. And with the Lord's help, I hope to address these four questions. I'm giving them to you so that if you would like to weigh in with more questions, you may. If you want to give me some advice or counsel on how to speak to these questions, I would appreciate that. And if you want to be in prayer about the next message, you could do that as well. But I hope to address these four questions at least. When should I become a Christian? These are questions that I hear that I think are intensely practical. Number two, should I do voluntary service? Or where should I do voluntary service? Three, what should I do for my work? Or how should I plan for my occupation? And four, and maybe hardest, who should I marry? So you can pray about those, and with the Lord's help, we'll, we'll explore those. But I won't be giving you names. <laughs> I will be giving you, I hope, godly instruction. God bless you.